Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for November the 13th. In the year of our Lord, 2023, this is our one of two. The goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to use the checks and balances all in the supreme law of our land, the Constitution for the United States of America. That is the blueprint for liberty. The checks and balances are brilliant. We reject revolution unless it's a peaceful Jesus revolution. Actually, we stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. With me, Dr. Scott Bradley. He's founder and chairman of the Constitution Commemoration Foundation. He's also the author of an incredible collegiate book and DVD slash CD series lecture or lecture series called To Preserve the Nation in the Traditions of the Founding Fathers, ladies and gentlemen. FreedomsRisingSun.com to learn more about his collegiate work, to get weekly webinars on the Constitution uh, and a whole lot more. Dr. Scott Bradley, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you very much. Again, always, you know, we kind of begin the work week with you, and we end the work week with you. Of course, you do Saturday broadcast, too, so you're, you know, work, work, work never ends. But um, at least, you know, people can begin and end with a, a voice of, I don't know, uh, review. I don't know if it's a voice of comfort often because there are so many disconcerting things in the world today, but at least we can kind of put them in a context that might be a little different than the, what the lame brain uh, traditional media is doing. You're right about that now. When you say work, 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 you're right. It feels like that to some degree. However, the Lord did say, by the sweat of thy brow shalt thou work six days. And uh, so I try to do my very best to make that happen. And on the seventh, uh, you know, you uh, rest from your labors and Sometimes a change is as good as a rest if you turn it to a, a dial up the spiritual side a little bit. But uh, hopefully that, you know, we don't we don't go through our whole day or maybe even an hour without some reflection of some of the uh, spiritual side of what's really important. I believe we need to dial up the spiritual reflections and spiritual reference and remembrance seven days a week. I yeah. just believe on the Sabbath day we ought to turn our attention to other matters. Uh, and so take a rest from the day-to-day routine and, and make the, you know, the, it's a covenant day, the Sabbath day. It's a day of, of remembrance, a day of celebration, a day of gratitude. It's a, it's a covenant day, if you will. It's a, you know, so let the Sabbath be a delight, kind of an idea. And so I, I do, I take a rest on Sunday. I don't work per my normal deal at all. Six days a week I work, but I don't work, you know, like the nine to five that other people do or anything like that. I'm pretty much on call 24-7. Uh, minus the uh, Sabbath day stuff, unless the ox is in the mire, I don't work. So it's 24-6 full on. Uh, and then it's, uh, you know, on the Sabbath, if, if if something's in the mire, I take action. But other than that, I, I let it go and turn my attention towards what I would call the, the weightier matters. Um, but the rest of the time, you know, I don't work every second either. I just mix work and play and this and that and all the time. And so, you know what, if somebody comes to my door, I can stop work and just sit down and spend a little bit of time with them. If somebody... Uh, you know, needs attention or needs service or needs help or 
I'm on the Lord's errand. I'm ready to go. I, I go get that done. And so I, I, I have a, a healthy balance between all that stuff. To me, I just wake up and say, all right, God, family, country, what do you need from me today? And then I just kind of go to work and do my very best to fulfill that in a meaningful way. And it's little. It's, it's not much. It's just me. Little old me. Can't really get much done. But I feel like if me and thee and everybody else, we all together can do a great, great work by small things, the Lord accomplish, accomplisheth much, uh, if you will. So there you have that. Uh, President Melvin Russell Ballard. Of the twelve of the quorum of the twelve apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints passed away yesterday, Sunday, at ninety-five years old. So uh, R.I.P. Rest in peace, sir. And a blessing goes out, and a prayer goes out to your family. Uh, and uh, you know, it's a sad day, but at the same time, it's a celebratory day because we realize that's part of God's plan, Doctor. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, it is part of the plan. And and uh, I had an uncle that wasn't quite as old as him that died over the weekend. And uh, so, you know, we've been talking to his widow about funeral arrangements and so on and so forth. And, and uh, you know, I didn't exactly say it this way to her because, you know, th- feelings are pretty tender at this point. Uh, you know, you got this, you know, big gap in her life. And she talked about the, you know, the hospital bed that's in their bedroom and their bed you know their empty bed both beds are empty you know and how that you know there's there's some tugs at hearts and so on but 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 really and truly um i uh i you know i sometimes i say this but i didn't to her good for him good for him when it's time it's a celebratory thing i mean it's a it's a re-ushering in uh, to the presence of of our eternal spirits and God and everything else like that, and I, I think it's rather exciting in so many ways. She did tell me uh, that he hadn't opened his eyes for weeks. I mean, it'd been just he'd just been kind of laying there in a stupor, I guess you could say, kind of they're trying to keep him comfortable in hospice and everything. Just moments before he died, he opened his eyes just as wide as can be. All right, uh, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully we can get Dr. Scott Bradley back. Am I live, Liz? All right, uh, we keep uh, having Dr. Bradley kind of, I don't know, fade out, and then he comes back. So hopefully uh, we're okay. You with us, Dr. Bradley? All right, we'll get Dr. Bradley back. I don't know, he's fading in and out. At first I thought it was my connection, but uh, there you have that. Um, There's so much going on in the news. And it is true that, you know what, when you've lived a good, honest, long life, 95 years old, uh, you know what, I'm sure it's, it's, it's about time to, to take a rest from your worldly labors and return to your maker. And I think that's a wonderful part of God's plan. And so President Melvin Russell Ballard, uh, he's of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he passed away yesterday. You know what, I think it's a tribute to a, a, a life well-lived to a, um, you know, it's an honor. And it's sad for the family that, that, you know, is left behind. But I like to think about it as he's not dead. He's just gone on ahead. That's really kind of the way I look at death in this world. And no doubt, uh, you know, the younger somebody passes away or the more dependent people they have in their lives, it makes things tougher. There's no doubt about it. But I don't believe that this is it. And I really want to spend my time on that. I believe that there's more after this, that we do see each other after this life. 
uh, that there is sociality on the other side of the grave. Uh, the, the, the great children of God Almighty still uh, have association with one another. And so I look at it as he's just gone on ahead. Uh, Dr. Bradley, you back with me? All right, Dr. Bradley, welcome back, sir. Sorry about that. I'm not sure the uh, Internet seems to love us at the most important times. But I was mentioning how grateful I am that death is part of life and how it's, you know, a, a long life well lived should be honored, uh, appreciated, celebrated. And I don't like to think of people as dead. I like to think of them more like they've gone on ahead, doctor. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there's got to be some, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of trailblazers, obviously, throughout all eternity, and at least through this mortal existence and everything like that. But there there were those that uh, that came here before. I mean, I think about, you know, there's people we are aware of and some of the things they did, you know, those that set the path and marked the way, the trailblazers, if you will. But, you know, think about the American founding fathers. Think about their... Uh, their contribution to the things we enjoy today, and and while we've squandered so much of it, uh, they were they were labor of love then. I I, uh, I you know all my life, uh, well at least my adult life, I have been working on trying to restore the principles this nation was founded on, and uh, it in that process I've spent an awful lot of time studying the. Uh, the words, the deeds of the American founding fathers, and and I'm just utterly amazed at how often they spoke of their posterity in their works. They they were focused on that. You know they, you know, look in the in the um, preamble of the Constitution. They did this for themselves and their posterity, but it, but it goes way beyond that. But but they were seeking to do stuff for those people that were coming along the path. They did a grand job. We that come along the path should be thinking of those that later will come along the path. And we're not doing a very good job of preserving the blessings of liberty, by and large, as a nation. And uh, we've we've just kind of set it aside. We put it on – it's not even on autopilot. I think it's on auto crash right now. But, uh, yeah, the people that went before Trailblazed, I think they've, they deserve our thanks. And perhaps in a spiritual sense, those that go on, we're uh, kind of marking the path for us to go on too. I think God's plan is very well marked, but maybe we all discover it at different rates, you know. Well, and that's the reason that we spend time on it on the radio is, you know, this, <clears throat> my radio program, Liberty Roundtable Live, and the reason that I've been on the radio more than a quarter of a century, you know, I know we talk a lot about politics and how to preserve the nation, and I support that 100%, but it is God family country. That is or those are the hallmarks, speaking of hallmarks, of this program. God, family, country, life, liberty, property. Those six words define who we are and what we do. And so the testimony of God, I want when somebody uh, dies, especially uh, a religious leader that's that's well-known around the world, etc., uh, I want to highlight the long life well-lived, the a- attitude that they've just gone on ahead, that this isn't the end, that I want to use this platform as kind of go ahead and skip the break. Well, let's do the break. Let's do the break. I want to go ahead and use that as a platform to kind of bear witness of Christ, to stand tall for his teachings, to help people know that there is hope, there is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hang tight. Liberty Roundtable Live in seconds. Looking for-
Looking for an IT partner that truly understands your needs? Managed IT Services is the answer. We meet with you regularly to discuss your goals and form a tailored technology plan. Our customers have called us a trusted advisor who delivers. When it comes to IT, we do it all. Firewalls, cloud storage, server migration, and more. Say goodbye to long-term contracts and hello to a team that earns your business month after month. Call 801-706-6980 now and let Managed IT Services transform your IT experience. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to LocalHoneyMan.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at LocalHoneyMan.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8:44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. All right, as I was saying before the break, so I look at this as an opportunity to testify of Christ, an opportunity to bear my witness that there is life after earth life, uh, that there is a God in heaven who does love us, who is aware of us. Our brother Jesus Christ did sacrifice his life for us. Uh, and you know what? Jesus Christ uh, has paved the way. He's the ultimate gone on ahead, if you will. He made it possible for us all to live again. So when you talk about God, family, and country, when you talk about life, liberty, and property, God and life are the two <clears throat> most important kind of words for this broadcast. And so uh, when President Melvin Russell Ballard, uh, one of the apostles of the True Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, dies, it's, it, it's a celebratory passing, even though it's sad for those of us who are left behind. But look at it as he has gone on ahead. And I really want to kind of make that point stick in people's minds. And so... Um, you know, this broadcast is, is really uh, spreading the good news that Christ lives, that his atonement, that his sacrifice, that his resurrection, it's all real, doctor. And because of that, even though it looks bleak everywhere around us, it isn't bleak. It's a bright day uh, because in the end, he can heal all. Uh, he will absolutely bless those who keep his commandments. He will. Uh, we can live with him again. And I really believe that's, that's really the quintessential purpose of this broadcast. Downstream from religious liberty kind of follows everything else. And so I really always take the opportunity, whether it's any religious leader, if, the, if somebody in the Catholic Church that was a big person that was reported on or somebody in the Baptist faith or anybody, I'd want to report it as well. Um, anybody that's, that, you know, I really get the opportunity to kind of draw these parallels and, and provide this education for I want to do that. And so I don't know. I don't want it to be a missed opportunity ever is the point, Doctor. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'll bet you, and I don't remember 
you know, any interaction that I had with you on this, but I'll bet you talked about Mother Teresa dying. I mean, you know, there's there's people that kind of had a footprint on the earth, you know, and they were, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we spend way too much, in my opinion, in the regular, I don't know, kind of mainstream life uh, spending yeah, time cycling and everything else. Yeah, we talk too much about some of the rich and famous and not nearly enough about those that dedicated their lives to service and spiritual, you know, outreach, you know. So I, uh, yeah, probably time well spent. Uh, should have been also, said, done, done. I also really want to focus on that even after people die, they can still have an influence on this earth to advocate for liberty, even from uh, that state beyond this life, Doctor. That's something that we can't ignore either. I agree. I agree. I think that uh, there's continuity uh, that we don't really normally give ponder to. And I think we'll be shocked when we get to the other side, if you will, um, and say, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, there was uh, there was love. There was caring. There was outreach. There was a spiritual connection that maybe we weren't as sensitive to as we should have been. I, I wish we all were more, but we're, we're not you know, with our workaday lives. Too much noise in the background. Too much noise. Yeah, as Alabama, the country music group said, there are angels among us, Doctor. Well, I think so. In fact, uh, this is this is kind of a quirky little thing for me. I always think that the uh, the little ones that come into our lives are, are literally angelic uh, gifts um, that, that have you know, basically, they've been gifted to us, and and they bring, uh, in so many ways, far more than we offer to them. I think when the the beautiful white, you know, the clear, pure, uh, everything about them that is is brought here, and and yeah, they're they're pretty self centered when they're little, or hungry, or they're cold, or they're you know, <laughs> got to be changed or whatever. But still. They are real gifts. I remember when uh, years, some years ago, my family was little, and uh, my wife has always been one that is, has wanted to reach out to those that, that weren't quite as fortunate. And there was a neighbor lady that uh, lived by us, and she was just, just debilitated with rheumatoid arthritis. Every joint, she said, she always said she needed, if every joint could be replaced, she would do it. And so she was bedridden and everything, and every week my wife took our little ones over to her house and uh, and not just cleaned house, but sat with her, visited with her. And, and she always said that she felt like the angels had arrived at her home, and uh, she loved to interact with the sweet little angels. I mean, they were little. They, they probably weren't a lot of help in cleaning up messes and getting clothes washed and everything, but they were... They brought something to her home that she always commented on, and I think we need to probably do that more often with uh, the gifts we get from God and make a recognition of the blessing that they are in our lives. And I've been watching some movies over the weekend, too, and I won't go into which ones, but, you know, in the movies, you know, you have a choice between your career or the growth of your, you know, stardom, so to speak, or whatever else, and, uh, you know, you can either pick that or you can pick the people in your lives or in your life, you know, and I've always chosen to pick the people. <laughs> no wonder I'm not very popular, right? But uh, all I'm telling you is I've always chosen to pick the people, though. It's about family. It's about friends. It's about loved ones and, you know, the connections that you make early in life, the people that have supported you. And it's not time to abandon those things. It's not time to, to, to walk on people to step to the next height and things like this. 
people matter uh, more than, you know, uh, things matter. And, and so it, a little bit of this is hopefully a life evaluation, a reset, a cleansing of the inner vessel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a time to do that. Whenever somebody significant passes away, it's a time to kind of analyze your life and say, hey, do I have my compass pointed true north, if you will? And if not, it's time to make a couple of course corrections. I think we all need to do that from time to time. You know, uh, I, I know you've spent some time watching that uh, series, The Chosen, and I don't know One if of you the remember. Best series ever created, in my opinion. <clears throat> well, in in early in that series, you know, it has uh, Jacob with his sons digging a well, and some, That's right, you know, yep. one of the local guys comes. But by let me just says, pause so people understand who haven't seen it, just for clarity, and then you can continue. What happens in The Chosen is it's about the life of Christ and about those who were around him during his life. But in the movie, it flashes back to uh, previous times uh, to give context to the story being told or to the, the, the references being made. And so when you say Jacob's well, you're thinking, wait a minute, that's the wrong time in history. No, because it highlights former things in history that related directly to the story being told uh, in the current uh, episode, etc. And so it's, it's relevant in that it gives you complete biblical context. Uh, go ahead, doctor. I just want people to know who haven't seen it. Well, you know, even in Christ's life, you know, the the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, that was Jacob's well. But but at any rate, so the sons and Jacob are, are digging this well in the dirt, and it's a pretty hot, dry scene. And a local guy comes along and says, what the heck are you doing? And we're putting in a well. There's no water here, he says. Don't worry about it. Who told you to put a well there? He says, well, our, our, you know, our God, you know. And they talk to him a little bit, and, and, and this guy says, your God? You never see him. He's not around. I think he sounds like a pretty hard God. To why did you choose him? And I know I'm just paraphrasing it a little bit. Why did you choose him? And 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 Jacob says, he chose us. <laughs> and it's time for us to start feeling like uh, you know we have a place in God's kingdom, and uh, he has a hand in our lives that oftentimes, I think we overlook in the hectic nature of everything that seems to swirl about us in the world events and everything else, wars and rumors of wars. If you don't listen to the news breaks, you're missing something in terms of how those kinds of things are, you know, kind of being fulfilled right before our eyes. I also find it comical whenever I call people or I talk to affiliates or people that are going to take this show or I talk to radio networks or uh, advertisers or anybody along the chain of that. They always say, well, you guys a Christian broadcast or a secular broadcast? And I always say yes. <laughs> well, and and I think that's the the way it is nowadays. Uh, you know, you've got to you've got to see how they're interwoven. They're inextricably interconnected. If we're willing to admit it and recognize it, and and if we recognize that uh, religiosity side, that's what the founders did with everything. I mean, you know, the the Liberty Bell has Leviticus twenty five on it. I mean. The, the going back to your talk about the Sabbath and so on, you know that was that was really a part. It's it's written into the Constitution, you know the year of our Lord. But they give the president off, the the you know for responding to signing bills or not on the Sabbath. Go read it in, in Article Seven. Excuse me, yeah, Article Article One, Section Seven. Okay, so anyway, there's there's little hints in there that. That was never far from their their memory banks. 
So we got to do a little more of that, I yeah, think. Yeah, and when you say hints, you're right. They're not in your face belligerent, but they're so core to the functioning of the proper role of limited government that they cannot be ignored uh, either. And that's something that I always try to highlight on this program as well. Uh, you know, leave it to me. Uh, you get a, a, a leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints passes away at 95 years old, and Sam turns it into a segment about us. Um, because I think it really is about us, this life's experience and those who have lived parallel lives on earth with us. We need to always use these things to turn our hearts, our minds, our souls to God. And in that comes salvation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, hang tight. Quick pause. Come back. I want to talk about RFKJR. He's got a lot going on. The mainstream press ain't talking about it, but we sure will on your radio. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. Republican presidential and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was in Israel yesterday. Christie says protesters waving Palestinian flags are getting horrible information. He also visited wounded soldiers and met with family members of hostages held by the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas. He said Hamas supporters are being driven by, quote, people with a much different agenda than the truth, end quote. Iceland is evacuating the city of Reykjavik in southwest Iceland. The area is being threatened by a very possible volcanic eruption. The town in danger lies near an active volcano system and was evacuated over the weekend after magma shifting beneath the ground started hundreds of earthquakes. Icelandic officials say magma was at a very shallow depth, so they were expecting an eruption within a couple of days. The movement beneath the surface has already caused damage to roads and buildings. The Pentagon is reporting five American service members were killed in a crash late Friday after their helicopter had a mishap during a training exercise and went into the eastern Mediterranean Sea. U.S. European Command said in an initial statement on Saturday that the cause of the crash was under investigation, but, quote, there was no indication of hostile activity, end quote. The craft that crashed was an MH-60 helicopter and was doing a refueling exercise when it fell from the sky. In theaters across America, Disney's The Marvels is number one for the weekend box office scores. The Marvel movie that brings back Captain Marvel took in an estimated $47 million in its opening weekend to finish well ahead of the other flicks in the theaters. Last week's champ, Five Nights at Freddy's, drops to second this week with $9 million. Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, slips to the third spot, and Priscilla is number four. USA News. Omaha Steaks is rewriting the book on burgers with an all-new handmade texture for the juiciest home-style burgers you've ever tasted. Their pure ground burgers are made from single cuts of real aged Omaha Steaks. These are truly steaks on a bun. Filet mignon, ribeye, New York strip, sirloin, and even brisket burgers. Now is the time to experience the exclusive burger perfection flight for just $79.99. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo 
code TREAT at checkout to get an extra $20 off your order plus free shipping. You'll get four of each Pure Ground Burger so you can sample all the steak-on-a-bun greatness. These burgers are crafted for a juicier, more tender experience, making your mouth water with every single bite. Don't wait. Go to OmahaSteaks.com. Use promo code TREAT at checkout and get $20 off the Burger Perfection Flight and discover your new burger obsession. Minimum order may be required. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the weekend, Tim Scott drops out of 2024 presidential race. Tim Scott's out. Senator can't make it. Not enough polling numbers, not enough money, just out. However, on the other side of the coin, RFKJR, woo, polling at historic levels, even admits, I guess forced to admit, CNN even admits this. The mainstream press gave uh, Tim Scott a lot of coverage, put him on the debate stage and talked about him relentlessly in the media and everything else. Um, RFK not getting talked about by the mainstream press, but nevertheless, the people, because the gatekeepers are in the new media taking center stage, the gatekeepers are left, um, you know, kind of behind uh, wow uh rfk jr resonating with the people to say the least doctor it's it's really interesting the uh, the political dynamic is so embedded in the establishment that the uh, you know if you're not part of the uniparty kind of thing the the dems or the repubs that uh that fit the narrative that is that is within the mainstream um i don't know it's it's their agenda it's what's that was you know remember tragedy and hope carol quigley and he talked about in there and it's it's a long story we don't need to go into it again but it was a review of the uh, globalist agenda to try and take over you know and overthrow ultimately and finally the united states constitution replace it with a world government and and quigley uh, who wrote about it who was uh, clinton bill clinton's mentor in college um he said, you know, he the only the only thing he disagreed with these guys on was the fact that they wanted to do it covertly, you know, basically. But so he's fully on board with overthrowing the you know the constitution and making global government and all that kind of stuff. But but he he talked about the fact that you make the two parties so that really they're so same 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 with slight nuanced differences, you know, going off the cliff at eighty miles an hour versus ninety miles an hour, whatever. Uh, that you can throw the bums out and keep the bums in, and that's where the deep state has become more and more and more entrenched. So this Bobby Kennedy Jr. thing is is a kind of a kink. I, I mean, it's like holy cow, we can't give this guy any. We can't. We got to keep his head underwater all the time, you know. And and so I mean, it's Tim Scott. You know, you mentioned he's dropped out. Now I know who Tim Scott is, okay, but. This morning when I read he had dropped out, I mean, my first thought was, who? I mean, although, yes, I know, but there was never a snowball's chance that he was going to be the nominee and everything like that. But So it was not surprising that the recognition was there that, you know what, we're throwing good money after bad, and let's just not put more energy into this. Let's go on with our lives. But but uh, the Bobby Kennedy thing has gained traction, and, and it's got some legs, and and he has got a, um, a populist movement going that is using the, the new social media kind of uh, 
venues much more effectively than than some of the traditional you know you listen to newscasts and and you get the same talking head regard well at least the same message even though it's a different talking head whether you look at NBC CBS ABC CNN I mean these are all the same messages like the COVID thing every single one is on the same script but uh, there's a lot of people that are looking for other sources for information you're another source of information Sam I mean honestly as as it should get a greater exposure uh, people can tune in and find other things. Well, Kennedy is, I think, using it very effectively. And on um, Veterans Day, he put out a, a, I mean, it was an impactful message about the military-industrial complex putting our people in harm's way. We heard about here on, as we went into Veterans Day, five people get killed in the, the Mediterranean. We've got an armada put together there. I mean, it's like the Spanish armada going against the English. I mean, this is a... I mean, it's this is a, a a replay of stuff that happens traditionally, you know, as as we go from one war to the next. But uh, we we lose people. I mean, this is a serious thing we've got. And they say, oh, it was a training exercise. They were special ops people. This was probably an insertion practice that they were looking at a long range kind of. Um, uh, you know, we got to get these people into the into some place. Uh, don't look at me like I know where that is but I can suspect some of the things but so they were doing an air refueling kind of thing and things went awry people died I mean they're 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 playing quote-unquote war and uh, and sometimes they have very serious consequences and uh, and so Kennedy's saying hey we're gonna we're gonna try and bring everybody home maybe you've got that little piece Sam I don't know uh, did you uh I don't have an audio clip of it, but but when he says bring people home, I I commend him. I mean, I think he's right as rain about this, and this is something that very few people are speaking out of. Vake Ramaswamy is the closest, Uh, but RFK Jr. brings uh, some experience, brings some. uh, I mean, the guy's brilliant as could be, uh, and brings some real issues to the table that no one else is talking about. But of course, since he's an independent, since the Democrats committed election fraud, uh, it's tough for him to to get the word out, right? Well, you see, here's here's the deal. The, the the DNC is not going to let someone that that breaks the narrative onto the stage. They're just not, and so they've deep sixed him, and uh, they've which done means they've committed they election fraud. Exactly, and so I mean, they have become part of the uh, shall we say the machine that's doing something to everybody. It's all of us, and so Kennedy's gone independent, and I say good on him. We need more of that. We need a lot more of that. We need to break the system that's there. But what's really, really interesting is that uh, he's gaining traction in terms of popularity. This thing that he put out on Veterans Day about what he's going to do to to break the uh, military adventurist spirit for this idea that we're not empire builders. We're going to protect our country. But, you know, what's interesting to me is I talk to people and they, oh, yeah, he's just too much of an environmentalist and... and, uh, and he's always oh, he's, he's he's pro-abortion or whatever. And I let's just look at the abortion thing for just a second. Okay, uh, he he does say in the first trimester it's a woman's choice. Okay, I'm totally against that. Okay, so don't misunderstand what I'm going to say as a support of that kind of mentality. But are you pro-life or are you pro-death? And whether you kill the baby in the womb or you kill them. When we send them off to wars we shouldn't be in, 
after they're born and they get to be 18, 19, 20 years old, or we're killing people that we're launching rounds downrange against that we've never met before. And we, it's usually the collateral damage that builds or in the their next old age or everywhere else in the place. Everywhere, whatever. God ordained I mean, process. Here's the deal. Are you pro-life or pro-death? I think that Bobby Kennedy is probably more pro-life than 95% of the lame-brain Republicans that claim to be pro-life because they want to stop abortion. And, and they're not so strong about that anyway, by the way. But the point of the matter is, you know what? We ought, we need to, Bobby Kennedy needs to get smarter about this. There's no question about that. He needs to say, wait, wait, I was wrong. Like he did about the borders. You know, he was totally but, an open But here's the good guy. news about Bobby Kennedy. At least he has proven that he can admit that and go there, where many cannot ever admit that no matter what, doctor. And that's part of the problem. Absolutely. I mean, I saw his switch get flipped, if you will, about the border. He went down and understood, and he said, no, we got we got to secure our borders. I was wrong. He said that. But, but there's a real man, seeker, seeker of the truth, and that's what we like about him, and that's why we're willing to give him credence, despite uh, some not-so-bright spots, right? Absolutely. And so I think that somebody, maybe, Sam, you can bring him on your radio station. We could interview him. It'd be, Man, that'd be cool. I'd like to make that a full two-hour segment. But at any rate, that, so, so this idea of he's too much an environmentalist. Okay, stop, pause, let's look at this. He's been fighting some really horrific environmental things. I mean, it's not just dirty rivers and stuff like that. The, the Hudson River and his, stuff, his work on that has been magnificent. But it's been pollution in our environment. It's been va vaccinations that are destroying the next generation. And he has taken a stand on these things. Could we do fracking or some kind of extraction of, of uh, you know, our oil reserves uh, cleaner? I think we could. I think we could say, you know what? We can fully harvest the blessings of natural resources that God has given this land, and we could be more free and independent from all the other stuff. I think if Bobby Kennedy did a calibration on that and said, you know what? We've done this stuff way too dirty, way too long, and there's been a lot of bad effects that have happened to humanity and God's creations and all this kind of stuff. You know, I think we can get together and there can be a a new kind of view as how we can harvest and do it in a way that respects the environment and respects the stewardship God has given us over this land. I mean, well, and I that's think the there's interesting so many thing. things. They always find a way to exploit us. And so, you know what? I'm to some degree an environmentalist. I'm just not for government deciding and being in control and using that uh, as a uh, whipping post to force us all in line to go with some, go ahead and skip the break, go with some government agenda or government control. That's the Hegelian dialectic to always give government the only answer and only control. Um, I do believe God gave us this earth and I do believe he told us to be good stewards of it. So we have a responsibility here. Let's just not let the good point go wrong. That's the reality of this, doctor. Well, that's again, we find these these silo kind of mentalities, these bunkers that are set up and everybody's throwing hand grenades out of their bunker into somebody else's or intercontinental ballistic missiles or whatever. You think about the the nuclear kind of option on almost everything that we're trying to do nowadays. And and what needs to happen is to recognize that uh, we've got a pretty good thing here. God established this. Life's pretty good. And we got it. We the people have got to stop saying, "Oh, they're the bad guys." Where's no and and somehow, some way, 
we've got to say there's a there's a good approach to this and it isn't by doing the the marxist thing of contention of fractionalization and fragmenting until we finally have destroyed society and we I, wind um, up all alone because we can't agree with anybody on anything or anything no, we find true. of disagreement we become you know completely isolated and alone and we got to stop it rfkjr polling at such an incredible rate because he's willing to be candid with the american people on relevant issues doctor that's something else we got to really highlight i would love to to have discussions with him and have an honorable honest exchange and and honestly i think that he could really grow legs now again this is uh, this is not a stated plan but i know people have talked about it but but see you've got to get on ballots you've got to it's going to cost him i saw a thing the other day he's he's anticipating 15 million dollars is going to have to be expended in their effort to get enough signatures to get on enough states ballots to be able and to by potentially the way, this is because of the election fraud that the Republicans and Democrats have put in place. They put all kinds of laws and regulations and a whole myriad of, of uh, ways to prevent people from being able to get this done. Unless you're a rich kid, you'd have no prayer on the earth or unless you've got a big name. And you know what? RFK has both to some degree. But my point is that just proves the election fraud we're talking about, right? Absolutely. See, here's the thing. With, with licensing laws, we have professional birth control, if you will. They said it's so difficult to get in and, you know, become a contractor or whatever that that the contractors that are there have kind of a, you know, a locked up market. The same thing has happened in our political world. And uh, the D's and the R's have said, oh, 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 baby, we're on all the ballots. Anybody else comes along, they're going to have to jump through, as Kennedy put it, $15 million hoop to try and get his name on the ballot. It costs a lot to gather signatures. And having been down that path... I have discovered that it's nearly impossible in many venues. Some states have made it. It is simply you cannot ever become a, another another voice on the ballot. But at any rate, if he joined the libertarian view, and he and them have a lot of similar views in so many ways, but they're on a lot of ballots already. He could probably save some money and immediately have a bigger footprint. We've mentioned this before on the radio, but... But, you know, hey, you know, I'm not a uh, what you would call somebody would pay a lot of money to to get political strategy from. But uh, I, th I think there's got to be some people thinking about some ways to work around this. Uh, you call it election fraud. You know, it's kind of subtle and it's behind the scenes and nobody's out there, you know, preventing somebody from voting or something like that. But in a way, they are. In a way, they are. I mean, I delivered a, a, a petition one time. Uh, for to get somebody on a ballot one time, and holy Hannah, you would have think you would have thought I had asked to make the devil my brother. <laughs> I mean, well, here's the, what it says on, on RFK's website, just for kind of a reference point: We will end the forever wars, clean up government, increase wealth for all, and tell Americans the truth. Now, I love that. I don't know about we'll increase wealth for all unless you just say government gets out of the way. But I I find that fascinating of a, of a kind of a campaign slogan. See, people don't get to hear this because the government's just, you know, uh, in your face or difficult or whatever. Kennedy24.com if you want to learn more about it. But uh, interesting uh, phrasing from his website, Doctor. Well, you know, and and by the way, I wish there were time. I mean, I know we're fl time flies when you're having fun, 
but but the this wealth for all thing. I mean, people say, oh yeah, he's going to give everybody a, you know, a, a genuine. No, I didn't say that, and I pointed out the right way. No, you didn't. Right? I know you did. And that's what I would like to jump jump off on the the general welfare clause found in both the preamble and in Article One, Section Eight, Clause One, has nothing what to do with distribution of wealth. It has to do with good government. It has to do with with government that has is limited in its footprint, not a bigger footprint on the neck of the people. It's going to prevent uh, injustice about foreign uh, invasion, domestic uh, violence. It's going to allow the economy to not have false money like the Federal Reserve put into it. Yeah, we're talking about stability is- across the several states so that we can all count on something uh, that's stable, honoring contracts and stability in the marketplace. That's what we're talking about, right? That's what general welfare means. That's there's no intention of saying, "Oh no, 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 everybody's got to have a piece of the pie." No, government is going to make sure that it is truly a a level playing field. Government's preventing forced fraud and debauchery, and and you can go out, you could start a business, you could start a farm, you could get married, you could have a family, all of the things that we want to do in our lives. And and government was there there to make sure that no you know El Guapo or El Chapo or whoever was going to be there to 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 take you know your your wealth from you, uh, but the government's doing it now. That's the problem. See that what welfare is defined in in Noah Webster's eighteen twenty eight dictionary is exemption from any unusual evil or calamity, the enjoyment of peace, prosperity or the ordinary blessings of society and civil government. So good government, it has nothing to do with the dole, redistribution of the wealth, or anything like that. It, you know, it basically says to the people, uh, you're going to create a safe, stable, predictable society. You can confidently move forward as a business, a family, an individual. You have the freedom to succeed. And it's unlikely that something in the environment of society was going to dramatically change and destroy our peace, prosperity, and civil government. So it's it's a safe, stable, predictable society. And and so if if Bobby Kennedy could or somebody somebody starts to need need to start realizing that, let's go back to that general welfare clause and quit trying to redistribute wealth like we're all doing. So you said it right, Sam. But I thought it needed to be elucidated a little bit more clearly. That, I agree 100%. Uh, that there is right. Yeah. You could be prosperous, Sam. Do you know that? You don't have yeah, to pay 50%. Incredible. Well, here's El Guapo, the government. I, I'm, I'm using a movie theme thought, you know, that maybe put, a lot of people don't pick up. The average American pays 50% of their gross income to some level of government. Income tax, sales tax, property tax, gasoline tax, excise tax. I mean, we tax everything and our dogs, including dog licenses, people. So so that's where we've come. You know, everybody's paying way too much for that government footprint. Everybody wants to pull the government levers in their behalf, and we've got to stop doing that. And we got to quit sticking our nose in other people's business or crowd around the world. And you know what's really interesting is all of this stuff we do, the shock and awe wars and everything else like that we do. I wish there were time to talk about how this has been generational. But we create the next generation of warlords and war chiefs and, and all that kind of stuff by the survivors of the collateral damage that we create all around the world 
and some next generation's ticked off at us, and that's an undying, burning anger because of what we did to their little brother that got killed in the rubble or something. You know? Well, and a lot of that would die out, but then what we do is we train, we fund, we arm, and just ensure the next generation has the ability as well. We created ISIS. We created Mao Zedong's Chinese monolith over there. We, we allowed Russia to survive the 1930s and 40s. We have been the greatest advocates for our best enemies all along the line. And and we were doing, I mean, the, the ISIS thing is one of the most relevant and recent things that we had where we, we encouraged them, we armed them, we trained them, we funded them, and then they got too big for their britches and we had to say we're going to take them to task and, oh, we need a bigger invasion. And so we've still got troops in Syria in harm's way and in Iraq. I mean, holy cow. And And nobody seems to connect the dots. And... I, I remember just uh, this is stupid, but I, I a Native American history to me is is a fascinating, uh, kind of a microcosm of of study of some of the things that's happened and over the years. But but back in 1849, uh, there was a an order that went out that the there was going to be an attack made on a what they call a Timpanogos group. It was a band of of Native Americans, and so a, a band of of, of white people went out and attacked a peaceful village and killed a whole bunch of people. And one little boy survived. Okay. He grew up, this was 1849. He grew up to be the war chief that led the Black Hawk War in Utah from 1865 to 1872 because he had a burning anger against what had been done against his people in 1849. I mean, do you see how this thing works? You build the Osama bin Laden's of the world because of what we keep doing to their people. And um, sometimes we get blowback, and it's getting easier and easier to get blowback. The oceans aren't as big. You can go across them nowadays a little bit easier than in a wooden ship. And so people are finding ways to... We get illegals coming through the southern border that are allowed to be sleeper cells until somebody says, hey, guys, it's time. Go do what we sent you there for, whatever it is. So it's, this idea, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to loop it back to Bobby Kennedy again. His idea about stopping the military-industrial complex thing, stopping these foreign wars, closing most of our bases all over the world. Holy cow, what a breath of fresh air. That's a, that's a thought that maybe we ought to start giving some consideration to. And uh, maybe maybe there's some hope for humanity and Returning to God's original plan instead of being at each other's throats all the time for crying out loud. You know, you got that right. Now, Bobby Kennedy was wanting secret service and feeling like he comes from a famous family. Members of his family were literally assassinated and murdered. And so he said, I need secret service. The government denied him secret service protection, which I think is a disgrace. He's got a petition on his website, Kennedy24.com, for you to go ahead and sign and push for this. But listen to this headline from the mainstream press. Secret Service agents protecting Naomi Biden, who happens to be a granddaughter of Joe. I guess they opened fire, the Secret Service did, after three people tried to break into SUV. Now, people have literally been attacking Kennedy, trying to get into his house and all kinds of stuff. Uh, This is serious, doctor. And 
you know, the debate really becomes when should people get Secret Service protection? That's a whole nother discussion. But I find that interesting. They deny it to Bobby Kennedy with the family uh, name and track record and everything else. And he's running for president. And then they give it to Joe Biden's granddaughter. And they just took action and, and opened fire on people right now. It's relevant. It's a news story that just got released this morning. Yeah, they got armed support and, and guards and everything like that in their world. But Bobby Kennedy's house has been invaded three times while he yes. was there. They've had right. intruders. And and, and uh, the Biden administration, I mean, here, his dad was killed. I remember very well the day he was shot. He died the next morning, actually. So anyway, uh, that was real time, my life, you know. His, his, his uncle, the president, real time in my life, too. Uh, the day he was killed. I mean, and and I honestly think there's a lot more to the story than we've ever been told by the Warren Commission. But, you know, and the Alan Dulles uh, cover-up that, uh, anyway, it, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. There is a track record, as you say. Kennedy's home has been invaded three times when he's been in it. He's got his own hired security. But it, they're trying to, as, as he pointed, pointed out in his uh, Tucker Carlson interview they're trying to bleed him white by That's the way that was a great issue. interview too by the way it was it was but he said yeah the 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 uh, bidens want to bleed him white the D- dnc actually wants to bleed him white they want to get him so he can't even take a gasp of air his head's going to be so far underwater but so far there's there has been an amazing amount of traction he's intelligent he's articulate he's he's uh, resonating with the people he's shaking hands yeah, it's they a, say with a, a, he's got about a 25%, believe it or not, um, voter ra- rating or whatever you want to say right now, way above everybody else except for Donald. It's true. And and here's what's interesting. the, uh, the There's been some polls done lately that show with the rising generation, you know, the younger voters, he's way above any of the other ones. Now, I don't know how you can, you can temper and direct – uh, you know, different kinds of surveys. And so, you know, you have to kind of look at all the analysis of that, which most people are not willing to do. And and I haven't at this point with his younger voters. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is, there's people out there that are paying attention. I wish that he would come on your radio station. We could have an open dialogue with him. I think that there's more, shall we say, common ground, you know, like his pro-life thing is, or his pro-death thing. I think he's more pro-life than 95% of the pro-life Republicans because he doesn't want to kill people once they get born. I agree. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> well, and he's proven that he can pivot. He's proven that he has an open heart and an open mind, and he can listen and learn. So if we pray for him and work with him, just imagine uh, what could happen, ladies and gentlemen. I've tried to get hold of RFKJR. It's hard. I'll keep trying and see if I can't ratchet up the effort and see if I can't get it done, though. Amen to Dr. Scott Bradley. We ought to have a two-hour. I'll get rid of all the breaks I can, and we'll just have an open discussion. It would be incredible. We'll work on that. Thanks for being alongside with the ride. Thank you, Dr. Scott Bradley. To get to be uh, on Dr. Scott Bradley's webinars, go to freedomsrisingsun.com. God save the republic. Live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Radio Show. Talk Show.
All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt continues now. Uh, this, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for November the 13th in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our two and two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country in the traditions of our founders. Using the checks and balances, one of the brilliant solutions at our fingertips, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America as our guide. That is the blueprint for liberty, folks. Let's never forget that reality check. Before our guest, quick update. We had John Stubbins on the radio with us the other day. He's host of a program called Indivisible with John Stubbins, johnstubbins.com. He's also on Hunt Channel TV with our dear buddy uh, Ted Nugent on huntchannel.tv as well. And they're putting together a plan where they're joining Pursuit and Pursuit Up over the next couple of weeks. That'll get them a lot more homes where you can watch their broadcasts. Um, He also says, join us. At my Patriot uh, event, it's going on at the Trump National Golf Course in Sterling, Virginia, on November 17th. That's this Friday. You can get tickets at johnstubbins.com. And this event is a special fundraiser for a movie they're putting together. The documentary film is called American Anarchy. It highlights how we're turning into an anarchy and a tyranny all at the same time by those who would destroy America. The goal to release this before the next year's election to help us kind of understand what's at stake and, most importantly, what we can do about it. In addition to that incredible interview, we also interviewed our dear friend Matt Staver of Liberty Council. He's the lead attorney over there, been a dear friend for a long time, and we talked about the Southern Poverty Law Center, and there's a crucial SPLC lawsuit. So Matt Staver of Liberty Council suing the Southern Poverty Law Center We talked about that. We also talked about 20-plus state attorney generals have literally doubled down and says, hey, the SPLC has been discredited as a reliable source. CNSnews.com with that piece. The Southern Poverty Law Center has a hate list, and it really puts all kinds of people on it that don't belong there, including me. Anyway, I digress, except for that was a great interview as well. It's in the archives. Check it out. Without further ado, our dear friend Lowell Nelson, Campaign for Liberty with us, and ronpaulinstitute.org. Welcome back to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Uh, it's good to be back with you, Sam. Thank you for having me. Ron Paul, as always, writes such riveting, spot-on, relevant columns. This one's no different, Lowell. Yeah, he's, he talks about how the support for the war in Ukraine is unraveling, uh, you know, and, and, and in, in making that statement, he's, he's also explaining how the swamp creatures in D.C. are um, operating. They have a gimmick to foment continued support for that war. And already the U.S. has spent more than $100 billion there. That's B, B as in billion or boy. 100, over $100 billion in Ukraine. So Biden's handlers, he, he writes, have hit on a gimmick to convince us that this foreign aid is actually an investment in our own economy, right? So in his recent television address, Biden explained that as we transfer more weapons to Ukraine, we then will build new weapons at home to replace them. That, explained Biden, means more American jobs and a stronger American economy. 
end of quote. In other words, folks, aid to Ukraine is not really foreign aid, foreign welfare. It is domestic corporate welfare for the military industrial complex. <laughs> well, do you feel any better now, folks? <clears throat> well, there is no denying the fact that this nearly two-year war between Ukraine and Russia has been a boon for the U.S. weapons industry. Yeah, no argument there. That's true. Profits are back to record highs following the slump during the COVID scamdemic. And, and for those who follow the money, Ron Paul explains, quote, The money that goes to the weapons manufacturers also saturates Washington, D.C. A little of it goes to the think tanks that promote war. Another little bit goes to the political campaigns of candidates who promote war and so on. <clears throat> End of quote. So, folks, most politicians will tell you that war benefits the economy. You know, someone, Sam, someone told me this just a week or two ago. I could hardly believe my ears. Doesn't everybody know the broken window fallacy by now? <laughs> I thought to myself. This fallacy was first explained by Bastiat in his essay, quote, that which is seen and that which is not seen, end quote. That's, that's the name of the essay. <clears throat> Locals can easily see what happens when a broken window is replaced. Let's just talk about this fallacy, right? So you have a broken window. The shopkeeper plays uh, or pays a glazier for a new window, and he pays installers to install it. And so what you see is that the shopkeeper gets a new window, the glazier is is paid money for because he produced the new window and the installers that installed the new window, they get paid because they installed the window. So it looks like the economy is just booming because of the broken window, right? <clears throat> what is not seen, however, is what the shopkeeper might have done with that money had he not been forced to replace the broken window, <laughs> right? That's what's not seen. Perhaps he would have invested it in a way and, that created... And what all the downstream results of that are, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, what, what, he, what he might have done with that money to create more wealth and more jobs might have been far more productive than, <clears throat> you know, just fixing the broken window, right? So that's the broken window fallacy that it's what yeah, another way to what, say that by the way is there's a hole in my bucket dear Liza dear Liza right <laughs> yes that's true it really oh, highlights man. that reality is the, is the point there it's a little fun song you sing around a campfire but it, but it illustrates the same point though that you know what folks you can't pretend that part of the equation does not exist to do so uh, is derelict in understanding economic reality lol Unfortunately, Ron Paul continues here. He says, Biden is not alone in these gimmicks. The new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, appeared on Fox News recently to tell us that sending another $14 billion to Israel is Republicans trying to be good stewards of the taxpayers' resources. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> right, trying to be good now stewards of the taxpayers. Now there's a big hole in my bucket, dear Michael, dear Michael. <laughs> That's for sure. His gimmick is 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 that they will cut 14 billion from the IRS and send that to Israel. He says, quote, instead of printing new dollars or borrowing it, this is Mike Johnson speaking, instead of printing new dollars or borrowing it from another nation to send over to fulfill our obligations and help our ally, we want to pay for it. 
What a concept. We are trying to change how Washington works. End of quote. <laughs> well, Sam, that's just lies, lies, and more lies. They are not changing how Washington works. They are not paying for it by sending the money overseas. They are doing what they have always done. They steal from the poor at home and send it to the rich in foreign countries. Ron Paul and concludes they pretend, his... Hold on, they pretend we have the money for it. To say that we're not going to borrow it is a lie. Because even, again, we're going to play games with money now. So we'll spend this $14 billion. We don't have to borrow for that, but we're going to have to borrow somewhere else to get that in the first place. Um, when you're $32 trillion in debt, it's not possible to do those things without borrowing, doctor. Or, I'm sorry, lol. You, you can't <laughs> That's pretend... Right. Uh, I'm thinking of Dr. Ron Paul and Dr. Scott Bradley all at the same time, right? Y you can't pretend, though, that this money is isolated and that we don't have to borrow for this piece of the pie when you're borrowing to float your whole budget. At what point do you say which dollars are borrowed and which ones aren't, low? Well, great question. Great point, Sam. Absolutely right. You know, and so Ron Paul concludes his column by suggesting that we stop breaking windows <laughs> and that we end all foreign aid and all corporate welfare. Howdy, boy, that's the, that is the solution. Amen. And in fact, that is the solution in, as specified in the blueprint for liberty, our Constitution, right? There is no warrant in our Constitution for, for foreign aid or for corporate welfare. Absolutely none. In fact, there and are yet, warrants against it by nature of saying, <clears throat> look, we must declare war. Uh, Congress has to mm -hmm. do that. Congress controls the purse strings. The House originates bills. And there's all kinds of evidence that would warrant they don't have the authority more so than they do. And because the states did not vest that authority in the general government, they have no authority to do what they're doing. They, 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 it is simply untenable, Sam, for them, for the U.S., to be giving money to foreign countries. There is no provision in the Constitution for their doing that, right? But it's a paper barrier. And, and this is, and, and so because it is a paper barrier, they can ride roughshod over it if we, the people, do not insist upon their adherence to the Constitution, right? It's a paper barrier, but at least at least it's on paper, a common understanding that everybody can have about what the general government can do and what they cannot do, what it they're prohibited from doing. It should be written in doing. our hearts, um, mm -hmm. Lowell. It should be in our hearts. Uh, the headline from Ron Paul is this. Don't worry. It's not foreign aid, folks. It's corporate welfare. Uh, and the idea <laughs> here is it doesn't matter what you call it, Lowell. It's wrong. It's unconstitutional, and it must stop, says Ron Paul. And boy, how do we agree. This incredible column is at lewrockwell.com, Lowell. Yes, uh, absolutely right, Sam. And, and uh, you can find it just by going to lewrockwell.com and uh, scan. They have a number of great articles, like a dozen new articles every day, Sam. And every almost every one of them I, I really enjoy reading and, and find a lot of common sense <laughs> at lewrockwell.com. So, um, yeah, let's, one let's of the follow. Sites taking the news taking center stage. you got to dig it. But you know what? Downstream from this spending by Mike of $14 billion and everything else is a lot of killing. Let's talk about that as we skip the break lull. Okay, Judge Andrew Napolitano wrote an excellent column that was posted at ronpaulinstitute.org last Friday, just three days ago. 
And after reading the column, I thought to myself, you know, just think how thing, how different things would be if we had more judges like him. Now, I don't know if he's an active judge at the moment, but he was a judge. He served on the bench for a number of years, and that's why we call him Judge Andrew Napolitano. He pulls no punches in his column. The title of his column is very simply, Unconstitutional Killings. And the opening paragraph is also straightforward. Quote, the Biden administration is killing people openly in Ukraine and Gaza and secretly around the world. It has continued to use the killing machinery crafted by President George W. Bush, expanded by President Barack Obama, and employed by President Donald Trump. <clears throat> These presidents have used drones and other unmanned projectiles to target persons in foreign countries with which the United States is not at war, end of quote. Now notice that these are with countries with which the United States is not at war. So Sam, we don't have, I mean, I mean, don't we have a protection in the Bill of Rights uh, against killing people? <laughs> have you ever seen a, a prohibition against just killing people indiscriminately? And don't we also have a commandment from our God against killing people? There's well, no I think we do on all fronts. <laughs> That's exactly right, Sam. These yahoos. Well, and it's interesting had, to me that on both sides of the aisle, as you point to these presidents, and as, as Napolitano points to these presidents, on both sides of the aisle, they seem to have the same agenda. Law. That's right. It's kind of like the Uniparty, right, uh, in Washington D.C. Or two faces painted on the same pig, right? You've got you know, Bush, Barack Obama, Trump. Uh, Biden, uh, two Republican presidents, two Democrat presidents, and all four of them are killing people without a declaration of war. They're violating God's commandment, and they're violating the, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution of the United States. They swore to uphold and defend. These and for them to do this is committing war crimes, Lowell. Let's be very clear about this. Absolutely right. The Constitution prohibits the taking of life, liberty, and property without due process. And so then Judge Napolitano dives into the details. He says the purpose of the Bill of Rights, these first ten amendments to the Constitution, is to protect personal liberty by restraining the government. The Fifth Amendment prohibits killing persons, restraining liberty, and taking property without due process. That means a jury trial at which the government must prove criminal behavior. If a country is at war, lawfully and constitutionally declared by Congress, then obviously the president can use the U.S. military to kill the military of the opposing country. And if an attack on the U.S. is imminent, the president can strike the first blow against the military of the entity whose attack is just about to occur. And, end of quote. and then comes this statement, Sam, quote, There are no other constitutional circumstances under which a president may kill, end of quote. Well, you just can't put it more bluntly than that, Sam. <laughs> there is just no other... Uh, well, it highlights no other the moral way. high ground to which America used to adhere to. A, a defensive role was the military, a defensive effort of repelling evil and, and, and protecting our citizens, protecting life, liberty, and property. And okay, That was the intention. The second you move from an off, uh, a defensive to an offensive role, you know you've lost the moral high ground. The second you go ahead and take action that you have no authority to take action, you are rogue agents in government. You're out of control and need to stop.
and we the people need to demand it, Lol. And until we do, it's going to continue, sadly. Judge Napolitano uh, then gives three examples of of these, um, three additional examples of these killings without any authority to do so. President Harry Truman was regarded as, as a hero for using nuclear bombs to cause the profoundly immoral, military, militarily useless, and plainly criminal mass killings of the Japanese. <clears throat> End of quote. He also mentioned President Bush following the 9-11 tax of 2001, who spent $3 trillion and killed a million people in Afghanistan and Iraq without regard for the Constitution, without regard to evidence, proportionality, civilian lives, morality, or human decency. Now I'm going to bring third something up that's going to be very controversial yeah. before the third example we really got to get to in this. So yeah. you said George Bush did this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I got a question. Why, when George Bush does it, is it okay? When Hitler does it, it's evil. When um, Al Tung does it, it's evil. When Paul Potts does it, it's evil. When, okay, Holodomor is another example. Okay, why do we ignore all those but somehow put on this pedestal uh, how horrible Hitler is? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not defending Hitler. Okay, let me say that again. Don't get me wrong. I am not defending Hitler. I'm merely saying that how is it okay when it's George but when it's Adolf, it's evil. How do we ignore, uh, you know, some of these other examples of these other criminals? I mean, Holodomor was way worse. Uh, or, you know, how is George Bush on the moral high ground? The point is they're not. The point is not to elevate Hitler. The point is to bring these other ones, these other examples into context, Law. Absolutely right, Sam. You can, the, the hypocrisy is so obvious. <clears throat> and we'll be actually talking more about how it is that we Americans in our minds, uh, when we talk about the treasury of virtue in, in the next column, Sam, uh, how, it, how it is that we Americans um, are okay with, you know, when George Bush kills people, but we somehow abhor the killing of people by Stalin or Pol Pot or, or Hitler. So, yeah, this is a, this is a very and What's that good other guy's name? Topic. Joseph Stalin? Just to not leave somebody out there. <laughs> right. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not defending <clears throat> Hitler in any way. I don't I don't want anybody to take my comments out of context and say, "Oh, Sam, no, that's bu Hitler's an absolute thug." Okay, these people are despots and evil. Okay? No question, all of them. Uh, but I don't see how George is better. I really don't, Lowell. And I know people would be like, "Oh my gosh, how dare you make that comparison?" I'm going to make it because it's true. How do we think we have authority or the moral high ground? These are unconstitutional killings. If they're unconstitutional, that means they break the law, right? What's the difference? Yes, that's breaking in. Help me get what's it's the breaking difference? Con yeah, I, I don't see a difference, Sam. I, it's, they're breaking the constitutional law. They're breaking international law. They're breaking God's law. And, and, and on all three counts, whether you're Hitler or whether you're George Bush, they broke those laws. And so I, I, I just don't see any difference uh, really between them. Um, continuing the column here, Julian Assange sits in a British dungeon awaiting decisions on his extradition to the United States because he courageously, lawfully, and constitutionally published documents and videos demonstrating conclusively that Bush's use of drones targeted and murdered Afghan and Iraqi civilians, and his administration covered it up. <clears throat> and I quote. think it was moral of Julian Assange to do so, too, and immoral for the attacks on him.
Exactly, and and that's the uh, it's incredible hypocrisy here. Why why is it that the, the truth teller Julian Assange sits in prison, and and those who committed the actual crimes of killing are off scot free? That's that's what's not right, Sam. That's simply un uh, that's simply unjust. Well, and it, and if George Bush has the moral high ground, which was what somebody would try to argue against me, then my response would be, well, then why attack Julian Assange? Why not let the truth all be transparent and let us discuss it and debate it openly? If he's got the moral high ground, let's prove it. But he doesn't, and he can't withstand the scrutiny. Is the problem? Uh, Judge Napolitano then talks about Obama. He t he said Obama took this to a new level by murdering Anwar al-Awlaki, who was born in the United States. Um, al-Awlaki was not armed. He was not charged. He was not indicted for any crime. He was never accused of any violence and was not even the subject of an arrest warrant when a drone evaporated him while sitting at an outdoor cafe in Yemen. It's incredible. That's what Obama did. Well, after providing these examples of the abuse of presidential authority, Judge Andrew Napolitano observes that presidents have all the precedents they need. They only need to cal calculate what they can get away with politically when deciding whether to kill somebody. And currently, Joe Biden is shipping guns to Ukraine and to Israel, yet the U.S. Congress has not declared war on Russia or upon Gaza. This is simply wrong. The founding generation believed that, quote, they had crafted the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to impose sufficient restraints on the federal government, and they believed that the states could peacefully leave a federal government they had voluntarily joined when it exceeded its constitutional powers. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Its language is clear that only Congress writes law and declares war. Presidents can kill only troops in wartime or civilians consistent with due process. End of quote. So sadly, Sam, we the people, the ultimate sovereigns here, we have stopped, I'm sorry, we have not stopped the officers of the general government from abusing their authority. We have not held them accountable for their actions. Therefore, we are to blame. We, we have to take partial responsibility for this killing. So today... The president writes the laws and the rules that let him restrain personal liberty and kill with impunity. And Congress and the American people let him get away with it. Yes, formally, we have a constitution. It's a paper document. It's a paper barrier. But functionally, it has failed to restrain the government. Why? Because we have failed to restrain the government. <clears throat> if a future let's be and, very and so, clear. It's not the principles that have failed us. It's the lack of carrying out those principles. Uh, remember, mm -hmm. you know, they said you have a, a, a republic if you can keep it. In other words, you have got to be involved uh, in the solutions. If the American people, um, you know, don't play their role, uh, then we have a, a problem in the system. Uh, they further said, hey, this constitutional republic that you have, you know, that's what you got if you can keep it. But then it takes a moral and a religious people, and it's inadequate for the governing of any other. So, you know what, we the people have got to be engaged, and we've got to be moral and religious. Now, that's not spe specifically telling you which religion to be part of or even a formalized religion. Uh, the point is we've got to look to God, not government, and we have got to be actively involved. Nothing else will suffice, and this is the proof. Well, and it's chilling to think uh, that we'll, if, if we allow the president to kill people without due process, then we are signing our own 
death warrant. We're giving a permission slip to the government that it's okay to kill me, right? Because, and Apollo Tunnel ends his column with his statement. He says, quote, if a future president uses Bush's lust, Obama's logic, and Biden's hatreds to kill Americans in America, then no one's life, liberty, or property will be secure, end of quote. Yeah, just ask <laughs> Ashley Babbitt if you want uh, to ask. Well, I guess you can't ask her. She's murdered by your government. You could ask mm-hmm. Vicki Weaver. Oh, I guess you can't ask Vicki either. You could ask LaVoy Finnick. Oh, I guess you can't ask LaVoy Finnick either. They're all murdered by the government. You could ask David Koresh. Oh, no, you can't ask Mr. Koresh either. See, the government's got this tremendous track record of pro-death, and it's got to stop on all counts. When it comes to abortion or when it comes to undeclared unconstitutional war, all right, unconstitutional killings, I'm telling you, are war crimes. Lowell Nelson has got more when we come back. I'm telling you, campaignforliberty.org is on fire on Liberty Roundtable Live. Pursuing Liberty. Using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Corey Myers. The federal government faces a midnight Eastern Time Friday deadline for running out of funds, presenting House Speaker Mike Johnson with a challenging situation, much like that of his predecessor, Representative Kevin McCarthy. Johnson aims to avoid a right-wing rebellion while keeping the government operational. Simultaneously, the White House Office of Management and Budget has initiated communications with agencies to prepare for a potential government shutdown, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott has suspended his Republican presidential campaign. He had hoped his personal story and positive message would be enough to elevate his campaign, but he was unable to catch momentum in a crowded field dominated by former President Donald Trump. Tensions escalating in the war between Israel and Hamas. 2024 Republican presidential candidate and former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, on Fox News Sunday, saying the U.S. needs to continue supporting Israel. Us having the backs of Israel is hugely important. Us having the back of Ukraine is important because you've got an unholy alliance of China, Russia, and Iran all trying to intimidate us and intimidate our friends. Don't fall for it. The one thing that all of them fear is when we have an alliance that's strong and that we stand by. The Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry claims that more than 11,000 people have been killed in the fighting. I'm Skip Kelly. Today, Donald Trump Jr. taking the stand again in his family's civil trial. He'll be questioned first by the defense lawyers representing him, his father, and other defendants. A state lawyer is also expected to question him on cross-examination. Trump Jr. is expected to testify today and tomorrow. This is USA News. The inventor and CEO of MyPillow is always looking for ways to solve everyday problems. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you. The six-piece towels that includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now, 
now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code USA. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set of MyPillow towels, just go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special and enter promo code USA or call 800-951-8175. That's MyPillow.com, promo code USA. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Live this uh, Monday morning. Uh, my name is Lowell Nelson. The, our intrepid host, Sam Bushman, allows me to join him during the 9 o'clock hour on Monday mornings. I appreciate that very much. Here on Liberty Roundtable, we promote God, family, and country because we value and hold sacred life, liberty, and property. We've just been talking about uh, con- unconstitutional killings and the way the U.S. presidency has uh, gone way beyond their authority to kill people, uh, whether it's uh, you know, people in other countries without a declaration of war or people in this country without warrant, without due process. Why is that? Well, I picked an article from uh, Mises.org written by Thomas DiLorenzo that helps to explain this um, this phenomenon, why it is that we can we can give uh, uh, George W. Bush a pass and, 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 and Obama and, and Trump and Biden a pass when they kill people, but we abhor the thought of, uh, of tyrants in other countries killing their people, right, and, and killing other people. Why is it that, that we're okay with the U.S. presidency killing people, but not okay with other dictators killing people? I, I, this is really an illuminating column. Uh, it's, it's entitled False Virtue, The Life and Death of American Exceptionalism. You can find it at Mises.org. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org, uh, a website named for Ludwig von Mises. Um, and um, it's it's uh, and, and so depending uh, on your definition of American exceptionalism, you might disagree with this column. So just let me give you a brief definition. First of all, uh, of when, when when I talk about American exceptionalism uh, this morning, I'm defining it for right now anyway as America can do no wrong. Okay, if we, if we let's just define it that I know there's a lot of different definitions for this American exceptionalism, and I agree with some of them. But for the purpose of this article, we're gonna we're just gonna define it as America can do no wrong. Okay, now with that definition, I think we can discuss this column objectively, and we can learn quite a bit. De Lorenzo is a is a, a, a original thinker. He's a profound thinker. He surprises me from time to time, but I always learn something from him. And I especially like learning history from him. He begins with a quote from an article on the Council for a Foreign Relations website, right? This is a CFR's website, their own website. Uh, this article was entitled The Future of Dollar Hegemony. And the reason I point this out is because I, I just find it illuminating here that the CFR knows that we have global hegemony, that the dollar has global hegemony. They write this on their website, quote, 
the dollar's global hegemony gives the U.S. government power to impose crippling sanctions and wage other forms of financial welfare against adverse adversaries. In 2022, more than 12,000 entities were under sanction by the Treasury Department, a more than 12-fold increase since the turn of the century. U.S. sanctions do ensure that targeted adversaries pay a significant price for continuing to engage in actions the United States opposes. End of quote. Well, this is a huge number, Sam. More than 12,000 entities were under sanctions by the U.S. Treasury. I mean, I find it abhorrent that we're even forcing a single entity with sanctions because sanctions are an act of war. Not only is it an act of war to force even a single entity, but over 12,000 entities <laughs> is incredible, right? <clears throat> this highlights how sanctions are an act of war that has long assisted the U.S. government in acting as the bully of the world. Dollar dominance is the cornerstone of such bullying since so many dollars are held in so many other countries as their reserve currency. This allows a massive amount of foreign policy blackmailing to occur. And just, I mean, this DiLorenzo just, just, just says it right in black and white. He says also, but a golden rule of politics is to never, ever admit that one is interested in anything but the moral uplifting of mankind, the eradication of poverty in foreign lands, saving the widows and orphans of the world, or some other selfless, magnanimous gesture, end of quote. And, and, and at the state level, by the way, folks, it's always for the children. That's the most common excuse at the state level for these governmental interventionist programs. <clears throat> now, DiLorenzo continues, he says, In the foreign policy realm, one must never speak the truth about the real purpose of imperialistic wars and invasions, as did Marine Corps General Schmedley Butler in his famous essay, War is a Racket. General Butler is Amen. one of the most highly decked <laughs> he is one of the most highly decorated Marines ever. So listen to him explain what he really spent his illustrious career doing. Quote, I spent most of my time. Okay, this is Smedley Butler talking. He says, I spent most of my time being a high class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and for the bankers. I helped make Mexico safe for Americans oil interests. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers. I, bought, I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests. End of quote. Well, and he could have gone on and on because that's really what American imperialism has done. Uh, for the past 150 years, American imperialism has been cloaked in a monstrous lie about the supposed moral exceptionalism of Americans and their government. But this lie was exposed by the novelist Robert Penn Warren in a 1961 book entitled The Legacy of the Civil War. <clears throat> the most important point of the book is that after the war, the U.S. government claimed to possess what Warren calls a treasury of virtue. Now, this is a term, Sam, that I had really not heard anything about until I read DiLorenzo's column yesterday, this treasury of virtue idea. 
He says the Republican Party, which monopolized federal politics for the succeeding half century, we're talking like from 1860 to, to I'm sorry, yeah, from 1860 to 1910, <clears throat> uh, the, the Republican Party called itself the party of great moral ideas. Well, Lincoln was deified after his assassination. Everything related to Lincoln was all of a sudden sacred and supremely virtuous. No more draft riots. No more massive battlefield desertions. No more firing squads for Union Army conscripts who had deserted. No more mass imprisonment without due process of northern state critics of the Lincoln regime. No more shutting down of hundreds of opposition newspapers in the north and imprisonment of their owners and editors. That's what happened, folks. That's what Lincoln did to uh, to the northern opposition to his policies. No more deportation of opposition party congressmen like Democrat Clement Valindigman. I don't know how to say his last name. Valindigman of Ohio. No more calls to deport euphemistically called colonization. Uh, of all the black people as Lincoln and his idol Henry Clay had done throughout their adult lives. <clears throat> End of quote. So basically that was a list of all of the, um, I guess, abhorrent things that occurred after the Civil War uh, under, uh, well, even during the Civil War because of Lincoln's policies. DiLorenzo suggests that Quote, the deification of Lincoln eventually led to the effective deification of the presidency in general in the minds of many Americans and then to the government itself. Robert Penn Warren wrote that this unprecedented barrage of propaganda created, quote, a plenary indulgence for all sins, past, present, and future, end quote. <clears throat> he wrote that the American state adopted a moral narcissism that fueled the crusades of World War I and World War II. In order to buy into the treasury of virtue ideology, however, one must forget an awful lot about actual American history and fill one's head instead with false narratives concocted by state propagandists. And so here's Warren, uh, Robert, Warren, Robert Penn Warren. He, he has a list here of, the, uh, of, what, of actual American history that we have to forget. He says this, One must forget, for example, <clears throat> that the Republican Party platform of 1860 contained an ironclad defense of slavery. We, one must forget that the War Aims Resolution of the U.S. Congress declared to the world that the war was about saving the Union and had nothing to do with slavery. <clears throat> That's not what people believe today, right? Um, uh, then he says, uh, one must also forget that the Emancipation Proclamation freed no one since it only applied to rebel territory. One must forget that the Lincoln that Lincoln said in one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates that, quote, I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. Go ahead and skip one the break. Continue, Lull. <clears throat> one must forget that in his first inaugural address, Lincoln pledged his support of a constitutional amendment 
which was the Corwin Amendment, by the way, that would have enshrined the protection of slavery explicitly in the text of the Constitution. See, the Corwin Amendment was, in fact, the work of the Lincoln administration, and it passed the House and the Senate after Southern secession had occurred. Lincoln himself instructed William Seward to do the heavy lifting with the Corwin Amendment in the U.S. Senate, and then claimed in his inaugural address that he had never seen such an amendment, but he supported it nonetheless. <clears throat> so, what did the U.S. government do with all of that virtue, that treasury of virtue? Well, uh, three months after the end of the war to prevent Southern independence, General William Tecumseh Sherman was put in charge of the military district of the Missouri, which was all the land west of the Mississippi. His assignment was to commence a 25-year war of genocide against the Plains Indians. Sherman said he wasn't going to let a few thieving, ragged Indians stop the railroads. Well, it turns out, Sam, that Sherman had been given a bunch of stock in the government-subsidized transcontinental railroad corporations. Generals Grant, Sherman, and Sheridan pursued what Sherman called the final solution to the Indian problem, <clears throat> which resulted yeah, in the death. Yeah, and that policy resulted in the death of some 45,000 Indians, including thousands of women and children. Sherman promised to handle the East Coast press should anyone find out what was really going on in the West. See, the Indian Wars were over by 1890. Well, <clears throat> then he goes on to talk about that. But, but Sam, this the Indian Wars, the war against the Plains Indian, this cleansing... They called it uh, 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 an ethnic cleansing of the West that, that uh, Sheridan, Sherman, and Grant conducted. <clears throat> they killed, they just brutally killed at least 45,000 Indians. And I, and I read the book, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, and I was just heartsick for all of the death and destruction that went on among the Indian people because of this policy that Sherman pursued. Well, the Indian Wars, they were over by 1890, Sherman was dead, and in 1899, the Filipinos finally got rid of the Spanish Empire, but little did they know that they were about to be forced to become part of the American Empire. Their three-year fight for independence was known as the Philippine Insurrection, during which some 200,000 Filipinos were killed by the most virtuous people on earth, American soldiers, many of whom had honed their genocidal skills during the Indian Wars. Boy, Sam, can you just feel the the satire dripping off of DiLorenzo's writing here? The, the 200,000 Filipinos killed by the most virtuous people on earth. That's well, what he wrote. American <clears throat> exceptionalism, the interesting thing about this discussion is that I don't think the Founding Fathers really referred to this term. Uh, I think Stalin popularized it, believe it or not, as they mock America. The communists have used it to try to mock our way of life, suggesting that we think we're hegemonists or somehow better than everybody else. Uh, again, you know what? We've got to really kind of define terms. So to me, the American exceptionalism, whether the Founding Fathers used the words or not, this idea that we're a unique government, uh, this idea that it was a grand old experiment, this idea that we're going to look to God, not government. When we obey God's laws... We do have American exceptionalism, and that's certainly what the efforts of the Founding Fathers were to trend towards. 
Um, you know, Franklin said if a, if a sparrow can't, you know, rise without its aid, do you think a nation can kind of an idea? Um, so turning to God is American exceptionalism. When we obey God's laws, we have American exceptionalism. When we do not, we have lost it. That's the reality check on this whole discussion, uh, in my view, Lowell. Well, and I appreciate your, your answering that question, Sam, because <clears throat> your definition of American exceptionalism, I totally agree with, you know, where where we obey God's law <clears throat> and stay within the proper confines of the Constitution, then absolutely American uh, America is exceptional in the in those cases. But and let's we've be been clear, the, one step further. If any other nation does those same things, too, they would have whatever their nation is. Exceptionalism. It isn't about us as people. Uh, it's about the principles in which we adhere to. Uh, in other words, do we turn to God? Do we look at God above government? Do we acknowledge the creator of the universe? Do we? And any nation that does that will be exceptional. Let's be clear about that too, Lowell. Right. Totally agree. Absolutely right, Sam. America is exceptional not because we're America, but because of the principle in that we obey God's law. We, can, we consider Jesus Christ the king of this land. <clears throat> That's why we're exceptional. And any other country that, that wants to do that, they too would be exceptional. But and, and that's why at the outset of this article, Sam, I defined American exceptionalism as as I did. America could do no wrong because under that definition, then we can we can have this discussion and and come to understand and that my America combined with yours, America would do no wrong. Well, <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, now, you know, the clear, Spanish... So we are exceptional in many ways, but we've fallen short in many ways. And that's why this article is dripping with sarcasm, because we've fallen way short. And in that, let's not pretend we're exceptional because we're not. That, that's right. You know, in Lorenzo he concludes his column with several observations. Uh, quote, and so it went with the treasury of virtue, which morphed linguistically into American exceptionalism. And, and this is what paved the way for the never-ending military interventionism of the 20th century and beyond up to the, president, er, at the present day. The treasury of virtue has always been moral cover for all of the greed, racism, barbarianism, and worse. <clears throat> now, the final two sentences of the column, quote, there is no longer any moral authority to use sanctions to destroy a country's economy for failing to do as we say. The decline of the dollar will inevitably speed up this progress process, which is good news for the world. End of quote. <laughs> and end of column. Now, yeah, let's not Sam, pretend our evil acts are American exceptionalism because that is a lie. Exactly right. Let's let's use the correct definition of American exceptionalism, this treasury of virtue idea. It's it's a treasury of virtue only if we're virtuous. <laughs> but if we're not virtuous, if we go around killing people without uh, due process, and if we go killing militaries of other countries without declaration of war, that is not virtuous, and therefore we and are advocating... Let's be very clear about the definition of virtuous. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt, Lowell, but I want to make this very yeah. clear. God defines that, not us. He's the one that puts the Ten Commandments in place. He's the one that lays out what virtue and morality and, the, and the, these principles are. Uh, these are God-ordained principles that we adhere to. That's what makes anyone exceptional who obeys them. God is the most exceptional of all, to clarify the point. Truly, truly the case, Sam. And so in, as we as we leave this article now, having discussed this article 
And, and I really recommend people go to Mises.org to reread it because I've only highlighted a few points. DiLorenzo is, 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 is a great author and he makes these great points. And the lesson for us is that we need to look very objectively, critically at what the American empire is doing, what the U.S. presidency is doing, what the administration is actually doing, not what we think they're doing, not what, you know, we hope that they're doing because of American exceptionalism, because we believe this is God's country, right? We need to look at what they're actually doing, because actions speak louder than words. In our and, quest um, to become more exceptional as we turn to God, Lydia Nuttall helps out. We talked about Lydia Nuttall and her incredible book last week, hmm. Forgotten American Stories. It's tremendous, but Lowe wants to point to an example that really inspires us to be more exceptional in our lives, Lowell. Absolutely right. Chapter 2 of Lydia's book is about the Statue of Liberty. I learned a lot about this statue last night while reading this chapter and thought it, I would share it with you. The, the American states and the state of France both went through revolutions in the 1700s. Here's the background. France helped the American states gain their independence from King George III and from Parliament, but the French Revolution resulted in decades of government which promoted bloody violence, terror, war, and social unrest. Many Frenchmen, they wanted what the American states had. They wanted a republic. They wanted a constitutional republic just like us. So in 1865, a French patriot named Edouard de uh, Laboulache, and, uh, and it's hard to pronounce, and maybe I'm butchering it because I don't know French, but Laboulache promoted the idea of gifting to America a monument representing liberty to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the American state's independence, also to cement the friendship between France and the states, and to recognize the Frenchmen who sacrificed their lives for their beliefs in the unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as set forth in the Declaration of Independence. Right? So they wanted what we had, and they recognized that what America had was worth fighting for. So a fellow patriot talented sculptor named Frederick Auguste Bartholdi dedicated his time and his talents to the creation of the Statue of Liberty. And leaders in America, they promised to raise money to build a pedestal in, on which the statue would stand. So 10 years later, in 1875, the French people began to raise the $600,000 in 1880 dollars by the way required to fund the statue now funds came primarily from the wealthy america needed to raise about half that amount to build the pedestal but they were about one hundred thousand dollars short in 1884 and they couldn't seem to raise any more funds well then along came joseph pulitzer owner of a daily new york newspaper called the world and i think sam he's probably the very same pulitzer who's portrayed in newsies Anyway, That's Pulitzer, one in the same, my friend. One in the same, okay, because in Newsies, he's portrayed kind of like a uh, unfeeling tyrant, you know. Well, but and everybody this, has both qualities, though. He was both. Really, that's what most of us are, right? To some degree. Yeah, because... That's right, because we have the natural man and the spiritual man, and they fight against each other. <laughs> anyway, Joseph Pulitzer, he, he had emigrated from Hungary at the age of 17, 
And so in his newspaper, he began to strongly encourage everybody to donate. He says this, he wrote this, quote, Let us not wait for the millionaires. Give something, however little. We will publish the name of every giver, no matter how small the sum given. End of quote. Now, let's so be clear, donation, what he did was good, don't get me wrong, but he was aligned in this knowing he is popular to become, his paper would become incredibly popular if he did this too, though. So he's not stupid. That's for sure. <laughs> That's right. So <clears throat> me, donations swelled. They really began to pour in. And he also began to publish some of the letters that accompanied the donations, such as this one. Quote, I am a young man of foreign birth, and I've seen enough of monarchical government to appreciate the blessings of this republic. End of quote. Here's another one. Quote, now, I'm on. a little girl. Stop you there real quick and say Lydia Nuttle. It's her book that we're talking about here. She does a podcast on LovingLiberty.net called Ask an Immigrant that highlights the very stories that you just gave an example of, lol. That is so cool. Here's another letter. Quote, I'm a little girl, only six years old, and have 25 cents in my savings bank, which I send to help build the pedestal. End of quote. And so this is so awesome. So dollars and cents poured into the newspaper from working men and women, the elderly, the poor, the immigrants, the children. And within five months, Sam, the 100000 needed to complete the pedestal had been raised by more than 120,000 contributors. Now, when the pedestal was completed in April of 1886, workmen sprinkled coins into the mortar as a reminder that 120,000 gifts, most of them less than a dollar, had made that possible. <clears throat> I think it's so incredible. It's incredible. And by the way, $100,000 in 1880 is, 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 uh, amounts money, to over... Like 3.5 million or more. Yeah, over three million in today's currency, right? So that's a ton of money to that but they were able to uh to, to, to raise. Now, the the Statue of Liberty had two other names. I did not know this, Sam. One name was Liberty Enlightening the World. That's a wonderful name. That's really a wonderful name. And the other name she was known by was Mother of Exiles. That is so poignant, Mother of Exiles. So <clears throat> she was dedicated in 1886 on Bedloe's Island, later renamed Liberty Island in 18, 1956. And that island is located in New York Harbor. And, and she, she faces southeast to welcome all who enter New York Harbor. So if you're looking at her from New York, you see her, the back of her head, right? You see her back. But her front is pointed outward southeast to welcome everybody who enters New York Harbor. Now, Bartoldi, the sculptor, used a lot of symbolism in the statue. Liberty's seven spike-like rays emanating from her crown, they represent heaven's rays shining over the seven continents and the seven seas of the world. There's a broken shackle and chains lying at Liberty's feet. I didn't know that. These, these broken shackles and chains uh, represent freedom from oppression, tyranny, and servitude. The tablet she holds in her left hand represents a book of law. Inscribed on it is the date July 4th, 1776, written in Roman numerals. Wow, there's so much beautiful symbolism written into this and sculptured into this sculpture, Sam. A truly wonderful story in Lydia Nuttall's book, uh, forgotten American stories, Sam. To learn more Wonderful about Lydia stories. Nettle, lovingliberty.net. Check out her incredible podcast, Ask 
an immigrant. Great stuff. Thank you, Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org. we got to stand with the Prince of Peace. Then we become exceptional. Not because of us, because of Jesus Christ himself. His grace is sufficient for us all. And this is the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. God save the Republic of the United States of America.